to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Man, uh, it's nothing like coming to a place for the first time. Tito literally, uh, Tito and I got in touch with each other literally like at 6.30 last night. So I'd put out a call. There's, you know, I have six or seven different people that can fill in. And so I'd got his name and we'd touch base. And so for him to have to put together a worship set, you know, at from 6.30 at night and to a crowd that he doesn't even know to come as a stranger. And so, uh, Tito, thank you so much. And uh, we, uh, and then to get up there and have a string break, that would be, you know, very, uh, uh, difficult, and so we're thankful for you uh, coming and being willing to lead us in that. Uh, I've been a part of worship teams before, and uh, literally uh, one time we were, it was in a church plant in Northwest Arkansas, and one of my strings broke, which if you know anything about guitars, um, it you you just, you know, if that one of those major string chords, especially like the top or the bottom, I think that top E, if it breaks, like it's not going to sound right. Like you, and I'm not good enough to like adapt that and just keep playing. And so uh, the same thing, like I literally had to go through like three songs just standing there. And I think I had to, after like two of me just kind of acting like I was strumming without touching them, hoping that people couldn't see it because it was like six of us. I literally just walked off the stage on the last song. And so no one knew why, like Sankey just exited halfway through a song. So um, that's a tough deal, and so um, I'm thankful that you guys are so gracious that we're, we're a place where we go, we understand when those things happen. Um, we're going to be talking about um, just that aspect. Things are broken. Things will happen in our lives. Um, we know that we're in a broken world right now, and that's why we, we look at this idea of Advent. Um, if you haven't been in a church that has... Um, uh, really stressed the idea of Advent during um, December. Um, I, I grew up in churches where we really didn't do that. I mean, they, they did the decorations and the trees and the garland and all those things, but we really didn't take the, 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 the spiritual and mental focus um, and, and apply that to, um, to why we, we celebrate the coming of Christ. And so it was, I was probably in my late 20s before I under, understood what Advent was. I'd heard that word, and I, I probably thought it was something like Jewish or something, you know, that just like certain religions talked about. Uh, but Advent just means His coming. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take the next four weeks to look at not only His first coming, but His second coming, and try to get some deep, deep meaning from the very heart of God that's been communicated to us in Scripture, and to see why that matters so much. And, and if, if you just think through, even just on a very practical level, God understands this on a practical level, that you go through 11 months, and instead of just you know, celebrating Christmas decorations and good food and, and, and Christmas parties and maybe some gifts, um, that, that really from his heart, the greatest thing that we could pause and slow down to look at is him sending Christ, which was the fulfillment of his redemptive purposes, a world in darkness, broken, without any hope, the 400 years of silence, and then here comes this, this son, born in a manger, um, the, the miraculous conception there, the beauty uh, of, of what happened there. And that, 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 that was just the first step. The reason he came was to die on the cross. And so we learn all that in that little 33-year period. And so um, Advent, the, the depth of that. Um, um, so 
when we get to this time of season, I don't know for you guys, I don't know what that means for your family or for your family growing up. Um, so for us, um, as I, as I got, got engaged to Jamie, I started learning more about the Hispanic traditions. And so um, it can be a one-year-old's birthday. It can be a birthday party. Um, it can be any of the, the calendar events. And it, it, it's 70, 80, 90 Mexicans together and together. So if you're in a bad mood, you don't get to be in a bad mood because you walk into the house and there's 80 Mexicans and it's just a party. And I mean, it could be like two brothers who literally literally stabbed themselves, stabbed each other, like literally. And, and like that, maybe that didn't happen in your family, but then they're still treating each other great at this little festival. And so you're like, I thought that he like stole his car and stabbed him. And she's like, maybe, but we're all together and there's some food here and we're having a great time. And so and you're just like, man, uh, it, it's an incredible uh, festival time that, that, that we would go and experience. And so that kind of carried over into our own um, family to where um, we, uh, I, I probably was fine. I'd had great um, uh, holidays growing up. And then my dad, my grandpa, my grandma, they all passed away. My, my sisters had moved away. And so it went from this exciting time as a little kid to then when I got into about 18 to 20, like it was just empty. And then like, and, and then my, my parent, my dad's health, my grandpa's health, my grandma's health. And so it was like, you know, maybe we can get together for like an hour. So it become kind of a depressing time. And I didn't even realize, realize that. And so then we get married and we, we got a chance to restart all those things. So, um, this, this same thing is, is, is kind of portrayed in all of our cultural things. So for, for Clark Griswold, many of you grew up watching that show. Remember that for him, what was it? He walked out there and there it is. The Griswold family Christmas tree, and he all of Christmas was fulfilled in having that. Um, if you if you were a Seinfeld person watching Seinfeld, um, Frank Costanza, George's dad, it was Festivus for the rest of us, and so Festivus was uh, Frank's way of kind of slapping the commercialism of Christmas. He hated the decorations and all the the, the fluffy stuff, and so instead of having a beautiful tree, let's strip that down. No decorations. And, and, and let's just have an aluminum pole. And so it was about gathering together for a meal. They had this stripped down Christmas tree, just this pole. And then it was an airing of grievances. So you got to sit down. And so I even had some, uh, I meant to put some pictures up there where he, he literally said, I've got some stuff. I've got some problems with all of you guys. So that's what Christmas was for them. And, and then they had feats of strength to go along with that. So that may be more of where your family's at. Um, for us, uh, just even a few weeks ago, um, Owen walks in the house and Owen is our, he, he's the one who gets so excited about the different holidays. So, uh, you know, I, he comes in, he just bursts in the door one day and I'm in the house and he's like, dad, guess what? I got some good news. And I was like, oh, um, you're like really good news. Like good news meaning from your perspective, you got something that you shouldn't have got, or, you know, you spent something and bought something that I probably wouldn't even like you to have. Or is it like, really good news for everyone. He's like, we went in Walmart and all the shelves were cleared off. And I was like, what's going on? And then I walked over about eight rows and dad, they started having all the Christmas stuff out. And so he was just lit up. And so like, so I, I knew that that would be exciting for, he loves when they start putting that stuff out. Even 
early November, they start putting those things out. And so our, so we kind of start getting into it during Thanksgiving. We, we have times at the table together and in the living room. When, when they were little, it was so easy just to gather them together and just in the living room and just play and wrestle around. It's all this extended time. Um, as they get older, it's different. But to see that, that time of celebrating, of, of gathering together for um, you know, the food, the, the Christmas parties, the, 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 even the clothing. They, they want, all want to get matching clothing, which I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Eeyore in that. Like, they started this several years back where we all wear onesies. Like, and it's like these ugly Christmas onesie things. And so I, like, the first year I was like, I don't think I want to wear that. And Jamie's like, you have to. The boys are wearing that. And so I was like, Okay, so we, and so I, I was kind of the spoil sport, like I'd rather just stay comfortable here. And so um, for you, that may be uh, fam, uh, the thoughts of family and Christmas brings up some really rejoiceful, um, encouraging times. For other people, sometimes uh, the holidays do. It brings up a picture of loss. It, comes, it reminds them of the loss of a, of a parent or a grandparent or both. It reminds them of a broken family that, that, that has occurred. And so um, when we come to this season, it should be a time when we can pause and really learn what, what this season is about, that, that God was intentional with this. Um, so um, as we look at um, Advent, I, I want to think through um, pausing to look at um, what Christ has accomplished and what he's done. We're still going to have fun. We're going to still have um, our family times and our friends and our Christmas parties. Um, I'm not saying those things are evil. Sure, we know that it can get so commercialized and you can get so caught up in it. You know, you're spending more money on your lights or more time on your lights than you do with family. There's probably an issue there, right? If you're, if you're a child or an adult who literally just thinks that the gifts, whether you're giving or getting, if, if that's the whole point of the Christmas season, we've probably missed it, right? But we can still uh, partake of those things and not allow them to be idols. And so um, when, we, when we get to this season, um, I, I want to bring up that, that, that reorienting of our hearts and celebrating His coming. So um, like I said, Advent comes from the Latin word coming or His coming. And so I wanted us to do these two things here, to gaze. The first one, that, that purpose and the spiritual benefit of celebrating Advent is to gaze at His first coming and to anticipate His second coming. And so that's the first one. I think there's a slide. Yeah, just to, to, to think through that idea, Adam and Eve in the garden, God with us. Then there's sin. They're separated. God gives that statement, hey, where are you? Not meaning, I, you know, I'm playing hide and seek with you. I can't find you. But no, I know where you're at. You need to reference. There's a separation. Where are you in relation to me? And then he starts pursuing. He kills an animal. There's an atonement. There's a, a reminder to cover up in shame. There's, there's, there's a, the dead skin. There's the bloody animal. That's going to be a picture, right? He tells Adam and Eve that, 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 that warning uh, and that, that, that clarification, the first um, uh, declaration of the gospel, that, that he tells uh, Eve and Satan that, that hey, he's, he's going to... He's going to bruise your heel, the, the one that comes from you, uh, but he's going to definitely, the, the one who is bruised will be the one who will crush your head, Satan. So that um, first proclamation of the gospel in, in Genesis 3, right after the fall, and God gives a hint of his redemptive plan, that Satan, you may bruise his heel, killing him in death on the cross, but then he's going to rise again, and he's going to ultimately crush your head. He's going to completely destroy you. So right in the middle of that, God shows his pursuit 
and a plan of redemption. And then, you know, we get into with Cain and Abel through all the um, crazy stuff that happens with the people of Israel. We go into Moses and the story of the people of Israel, this idea of of Egypt and slavery, uh, a picture of our slavery to sin, that God would be known through the Old Testament as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who delivered you out of slavery so it's this picture repeatedly, um, this picture of then they tabernacle. So you've got the, the, the cloud um, by day and the fire by night. So what was that reminding them? God with us. There's a desire for God being with us. The whole Old Testament um, commands and all of the, 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 the promises built into the, the old covenant of I will be your God and you will be my people in a future land. And that was it, right? That was what they were always looking for. So from from Joshua and those days on, all of those pictures of God with his people and then us worshiping him for who he truly is and him uh, living in the true worship of that. So God gets the reward of our worship. We get the reward of God's goodness, but also we get the, the main reward of God himself. So the whole story is not just a good life or even an eternal home of comfort and ease. It's it's God's presence. And so Advent fills into that from the tabernacle, God with us, to the temple, God with us, to Jesus coming and showing us God with us. This is what God would be like, the full um, revelation of God. And so all of those things have brought in the kingdom where we, we've understood, we've talked about this a lot, the kingdom being Jesus inaugurating it, saying, this is what it would be like to live eternally with me. This is what the kingdom looked like from, from the Beatitudes and the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, all those things. This is what kingdom living looks like. Um, and those beautiful pictures that he not only taught, but he lived out for us, and that was all showing. In, in the future, you're going to have a righteousness that's not of your own. You're going to have a holiness that's not of your own. We're going to live eternally in that that he supplied for us by the life that he lived. No sin ever. Perfect righteousness, perfect holiness applied to us like clothing, like a robe that we put on that we didn't deserve, and and also the forgiveness of sins so that we would be a people and a kingdom of God in heaven for eternity. And we know that kingdom is here, but as we look around, there's people missing today. It's not yet fully there's sickness, there's sin, the, the, the ripple effects of sin. We're in a broken, fallen world. And so the kingdom is already here, but not yet fully. And so those, those ideas are all in that picture of, of Advent. It, it's for us to slow down and think through all of those different pictures that God was showing us. Me being with you, you worshiping me. And, and if you can't get worship um, flowing out from looking at what he did on the cross, then there's probably some sort of problem, right? And so, um, and then some people never think through this on the idea of Advent. It also should free us. There should be this liberating freedom from our pattern. We have this tendency, we have this pattern to place so much hope or so much peace or the idea of peace, um, so much love on idols, um, we, we try to place too much enjoyment and too much joy in something that 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 is not going to bring ultimate fulfillment. Um, whether that's football games. Yesterday I watched a couple of ending football games and, and teams I don't even really care about. You know, like like TCU. I, I've never cared about TCU, but all of a sudden I'm rooting for them and Kansas State kicks a field goal at the end. I'm just it affects me emotionally. I'm like, why? 
I don't even know anyone on TCU. I don't like their colors. I, I don't know, but like, I just, I was going for them. That's ridiculous. Like, uh, if I'm not careful, I, I'm starting to fill up too much joy in a team I don't even know about. I don't have anything connected to. And so, or, or whether just your team winning, your, your thoughts. We, as, as a family, you know, uh, we had an incredible season with our younger ones and our middle one and our older one. And then, then um, to get to the end of the season, have phenomenal, phenomenal wins. And, and bigger, and the thing that's beautiful is, is bigger than, than, than wins is uh, developing maturity, developing growth, the, the guys that they're around and stuff. Um, treasuring those things, that's what matters most, not the wins and losses. And we're in a place that really emphasizes that, and still, you want to win. You want to win really, really bad. And that's not, that's not the end all, though, to go, hey, there's another season coming. But even with no seasons, there's something greater than that. There's something greater. And so uh, we get to look at that. We could get so caught up in these idols, things that we place so much hope in, things that we place so much peace in, so much rest in if we're not, we're not thinking about it. Um, has it really changed me today? Is my value less? Has it affected me eternally, that, that dumb old TCU loss? That, that, why would I root for TCU anyway? Uh, why does it matter that, that my teams, are their season ended? Does that affect me today? It shouldn't because there's bigger things than that. Can we enjoy those things? Wonderfully. Yeah, but, but sometimes it, we get so wrapped up in them. So Advent also allows us to really think through, are there some things I've been trying to place too much enjoyment in? Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's my children. Maybe it's buying this new thing or having these new possessions. Maybe it's my status. Maybe it's the career path. Maybe it's this new person in my life. All those things try to lure us in, and we try to put too much peace and too much hope and too much love and enjoyment in those things. So I hope we see that. Let me pray as we go into these uh, scriptures. Now, this is going to be a little bit different. Um, we usually have one key passage, and we're going to have that in Isaiah because God's um, prophesying through Isaiah about the, this time when he's going to send the son. But um, I wanted to start out with, with, with a big picture view first. And so we're going to start in Revelation. Um, and just a, a reminder of, of from looking at from the begin from the end and looking backwards is what we're going to see. And so uh, let me pray before we go into that. Father, we do ask for you to open our understanding, open our spiritual eyes. We pray for the Holy Spirit to bring just those things that we talked about: enjoyment and treasuring Christ for what He accomplished in the first Advent. And also um, celebrating his second advent, anticipating, desiring his second coming as much as we would desire anything on this earth. Desiring his uh, second coming as much as we would desire anything that we could possibly attain on this earth because it's so much greater. Like we were saying earlier, there is nothing better than you. There's nothing greater. And so would you help us not only to evaluate our hearts? Would you bring clarity on our hearts? Would you help us to also see some areas where maybe we're allowing idols to rise up to an exalted status that they shouldn't be at? Would you allow us to see uh, the idea of freedom from patterns of idolatry even in this season of Advent? Help us on those two areas. In your name we pray. Amen. So the first one is this idea in, in Revelation 21. So um, 
as we look at this, this, is, this should be looked at as a sign directing us, a, a biblical picture for the end. And so this is in Revelation 21, so near the very end of the Bible. And he says, uh, this is John, right? And he says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold. And remember, behold should pause us. Anytime you see the word behold, it, it, it's behold, step back and think through this, the reality of this. The dwelling place of God is with man. And, and that's, we, we take that, we read it, and we go, yeah, duh. But really think through that. The dwelling place of God in his holiness, God in his righteousness and purity is with man? That, that is crazy. It seems like if God had an abode and had a, um, like some sort of, you know, um, bubble or shield around him in his holiness and righteousness, any time a sinful human being even, or an angel even, started getting close to that bubble, they would just be zapped like a bug zapper because of our fallenness, because of our um, sinfulness. And yet John is saying this in a rejoicing way, the dwelling place of God is with man. So right there, just that sentence, think through if you're sharing the gospel with someone. That, that statement alone, where you'd be able to hang those four main points of the gospel is, man, God is holy, man is sinful, so we are separated from God in that. And yet this says the dwelling place of God is with man. How does that happen? Well, because man is holy, I mean, man is sinful, that Jesus is the answer for that dilemma. So because Jesus is the answer, what's your response to that? Just that one little statement brings up the, the beautiful depth of the gospel there that the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. And that word dwell is, is this, this hospitality meaning, this, this idea of beautiful um, engagement and closeness and, and lack of separation. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Can you imagine that? Like our, our fallen minds can't even grasp the idea of no dread or no worry or no concern about what's going to happen in two weeks or two months or 10 years. No mourning, no weeping, no crying. He will wipe away those tears. So this idea, now that's a beautiful picture of hope. That our minds in this fallen state, even the, the most ultimate optimist probably can't think through that. Um, a beautiful, beautiful picture of hope. And that's what we're looking at this week. God dwelling with us, tabernacling with us. God himself will be their God and they will be his people. What was that? That's Eden restored. That's Advent. God with us. Um, that, that's all those Old Testament pictures of the tabernacle, the temple, the cloud, the fire. God showing us, and here at Advent, him going, all of that is fulfilled in this Jesus coming, God with you. And you're going to be surrounding him in heaven for all eternity. Um, so Advent, this time I'm reflecting on the past and celebrating the future. Um, it's time to pause and stare. It should be a time where we are taking some time. And so if, if you don't practice a quiet time or a devotional time, maybe this is a good season to just, maybe Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, just to pause and to look up some of those Advent scriptures. 
to, to look at some of those stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when they first started talking about Jesus coming and, and, and reading through those little um, verses and then pausing and going, God, that's amazing that you came to us. All other religions is about man working their way in some sort of um, self-righteousness or good morals to get closer to God. And here, our story is God in his grace comes to us though we were not pursuing him, though we didn't deserve it at all. God comes to us. Um, and so what a beautiful picture. Um, he accomplished all the salvation, justification in our place. And we should be caught gazing and being transformed in the light of his second coming. So, so we stare at his first coming and what he accomplished, the, the person and the work of Christ. So who he was, his person, um, and that's his teaching, his heart, his attitude, the very heart of God, the mind of God, um, all those things. But then the work is usually categorized by theologians as what he accomplished on the cross. Um, and it includes his righteousness, so the works, but they put the emphasis office, obviously on the cross work. But his righteousness, the way he lived perfectly in obedience with God's will, was one thing that we needed to be in his presence all eternity. And so we have a full righteousness that's applied to us, imputed to us. But then also the forgiveness of sins, the cross work, his person and his work. And all of that we can, we can gaze at. So 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, that we are being transformed, beholding the glory of the Lord. Remember the, the veil removed, pausing, gazing at that. That's how we see transformation. Um, and in all those things, uh, in a time for, for many, if we're just honest, man, every morning as I get up and I spend some time praying and think, and then I'll click and just see what's going on, the world is a desperate place. Whether it's our local community or across the world, we've got two crazy guys in North Korea and, and, and Russia who you just don't know what they're going to do. Um, all kinds of things. We've got people that know people, even in our small body, that you know, are going over to the Ukraine. If you just see what happens in the Ukraine, to see what, what, what would a little nine-year-old girl who was living in her apartment playing with her dolls and all of a sudden she heard alarms going off and, and just a, a missile explodes and blows away part of her apartment home, that messes with you. Now you've got to leave your home. What, what's she looking for in hope this year? What would it be that she would be seeking hope in this year. If you're a family member that, that's got lost someone that's went to war, if, if you're a if you're someone that's uh, that, that if you're a, a young guy that's 18 years old in either uh, Russia or in in China or North Korea, what's your hope this year? Because it, it's not a choice for you to enlist. It is a you have to enlist and go. And you're going, I, I don't know what's going to happen here in the next three months, six months, nine months. I just know there's a war going on. We don't even understand why. And now I'm going to be put out there on the lines. And I'm not real experienced. And I really don't want to be there. And so what would their hope be? So you see sometimes in this season, when we think through hope, maybe what my hope is is, is pretty small compared to there. Maybe we're putting our hope and hoping for something that really is not as important as what people through the world are, are really struggling to have. And so um, it's a time to reorient our hearts and minds on these, the themes of Advent. So the themes that usually people will bring out is about hope 
and peace and joy and love. Um, next week, we're going to look at the idea of peace. So here's the Old Testament scriptures of, uh, and I'm going to, these are just two appetizers, but this is Micah um, prophesying about Jesus' advent. There's many, many places you can go. You can just even Google, I um, mean, you know, what are the Old Testament prophecies concerning this? These are very specific, so you wouldn't have any confusion. In Micah 5 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Epaph, Ephrathah, um, I thought it said Epaphra. Um, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah. So that's what, what, what he's talking about, about this little bitty town of Bethlehem. Out of you, this small, nothing little town, will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And the word ancient doesn't just mean just a few hundred years for them. That word ancient was, was in reference like the ancient of days, thinking of God's eternal um, existence. And so that's what they understood. Like, oh, there's one coming from Bethlehem? That's from, from all eternity past? That sounded crazy to them. Um, in Isaiah 7, it says, Therefore the Lord himself, so um, God himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And they knew that meant God with us. So that's confusing if you're an Israelite, right? God the Father. So what we know of God, we don't know about the Holy Spirit. They, they'd heard about the Spirit of God. They don't understand Jesus the Son coming in human form. And so now they hear this, a virgin's going to conceive and give birth to a son. Now they were thinking, oh, that must be the Messiah. That must be him. And so then we go into Isaiah's prophecy of this. This is Isaiah 9, um, and this is the main section that we're going to um, look at. But he says, There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into con contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the nations. So, so as they had gone through times of being enslaved repeatedly and had um, um, warring nations come and take them uh, away. And we know we went through the book of Nehemiah and we looked at things in Joshua where uh, they were warring with all these other neighboring nations. That, and sometimes it was um, God sending the nations as a judgment on Israel. And sometimes it was God speaking to Israel and that nation who had taken advantage of Israel. And God was speaking through prophet saying, hey, you come and destroyed my people Israel, and you did all these things, and now I'm going to come in judgment on you, the, the secular nation, without God. And so that's what the different prophets you got to understand. Were they some that God sent in? And sometimes God sent them in to um, bring some judgment, but then he also was having a time of recompense with them. And so in all those things, um, look at verse 2 there. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. So Isaiah was talking about, hey, I know you've been in darkness. I, I see your plight. And that's what God is saying, not only to the people of Israel, but, but to, to people that need hope today. I know you've been in darkness. I know you've gone through things. Maybe it's like physical darkness, your, your physical pain, your physical body, some, some illness, some sickness. Maybe it's emotional darkness. Maybe it's spiritual. It's always going to be spiritual darkness because everyone's separated from God in their natural nature. And so thinking through that, what does that look like? Those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in deep darkness 
light has shown. And so again, you could look back at 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 and 6 about um, this light that has come in the gospel and shined down on us, been made known to us. And, I, and if you go on to verses 6 and 7 in Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. What if you just focus on those words there? To us, in both of things, those things, to us a child is given. What would that mean if you're an Israelite thinking like, to us Israelites, a child is given? They weren't getting that understanding. Jews to this day, if they don't believe in that Jesus was the Messiah, they don't believe that they, God has actually sent that Messiah yet, right? And yet we as Gentiles in Tulsa, Oklahoma, are going to us this beautiful child was born. That, that's the reason we celebrate Christmas instead of Festivus for the rest of us, right? And so, and that, that's why he said for the rest of us. Like if we don't partake in Christmas, well, here's something for the rest of us. It's called Festivus. And it's more of an airing of grievances. Well, no, we get to celebrate and enjoy and treasure Christ because he was the child that was born. He was the son that was sent. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So it's going to last forever. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, will accomplish this. Zeal from the very heart of God says, I'm going to accomplish this and establish this. And again, the Israelites had no idea what that looked like. But, but think through the people of Israel in this great darkness. Think through people our own time. Think through these very names. We're not going to go deep. I, uh, we're not going to go deep and try to exegete this Isaiah um, prophecy. But, but just on a very, very casual reading of it, look at the, the, the words that he chooses to use. A wonderful counselor. Man, have you ever been in situations where you felt like, man, we, we probably need to speak to someone? And not that they're going to give us all the answers, but maybe we can just lay some stuff out on the table and they can help us sort through it because right now it just seems just like a mess. Just being able to speak and to talk to someone about these things, this wonderful counselor that gives guidance. And how many people around here, like I've told you as I've, I've talked um, it, it, I don't know why it shocked me. It should have been the first thought. But as I spend time around here in this little community, in, in, in this one-mile radius here, the one thing that becomes clear is um, just counseling, mental health. It's a huge, huge need. The, the, the obvious thing is the physical needs, but behind the physical needs, there lies, there lies a need for some of the spiritual, obviously, that are there, but the, the, the emotional and the mental health is, is a wreck around here. After the new year, that's one of the things I'm, I'm hoping. I've been talking to people, trying to build some ideas there. How, how, we, how could we bring together some people that could bring just, just someone to listen and care about some of the families that are going through horrific things, children, uh, McClure and uh, Marshall Elementary, some of the things um, that, that go on. That, that, is there someone that would, would, would care enough and, and be a counseling branch? Some of the medical stuff that could be there. Some of the physical needs being met. I'm trying to think through what does that look like as we go into the spring, believing this, this we need a wonderful counselor because we're in an area of darkness. Our own lives, we, we see it every day. So he says here, I'm a, I'm a wonderful counselor that's coming. 
a mighty God. Again, this idea, uh, that wonderful counselor and mighty God, um, this was confusing. They didn't have a, a triune God understanding in the Old Testament. Um, so you've got the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Now, hindsight, we look in the rearview mirror after the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the New Testament, the cross and all that. We're like, oh yeah, why wasn't this obvious to them? They had no idea. They were still stuck in animal sacrifices, right? So mighty God, they were thinking the Father, but it's prophesying and tying together God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit coming, is bringing the Messiah as mighty God. And the Jews to this day, they still missed it. Everlasting Father, they understood that aspect. Um, the Prince of Peace. The Father hadn't been titled that, that type of prince before. So who, who do we put that on? We place that on Jesus, right? The Son. And so this Advent season is celebrating the coming together of those ideas that were, that were not understood. And plus you didn't have the Holy Spirit bringing those, that understanding like he has to all believers in the New Testament and the New Covenant. Um, this all-consuming triune God knew that we needed hope. And he brought in his redemptive plan the Advent of Christ. That's why we celebrate Advent. Does your soul ever get weary of all the bad news and the confusing messages that are out there? Um, I've been kind of studying that, um, the way that they're using algorithms. Um, and so namely, and I'm not gonna, you're not going to hear me, I'm not going to bring this up every week, but it is scary and shocking. And I know kids will be like, oh, you're kidding me, this thing's fine. But like TikTok, the version that the company gave to the, that sold to the United States. Um, we've always been um, targeted by marketers and targeted by people who know to get our attention on things. But that, that's what marketing does. It gets your attention and then you just start desire. Ooh, it, I would be happier if I had that. They have got it down to where it's like a laser beam as you swipe, and as the new eight-second or six-second or 10-second little video, the words, the music, the images that you see, we've never had before like a laser beam at the base of your spinal column into your brain stem going, I know what your brain, the chemicals in brain, I know what your brain's wanting now, 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 now. And that's why you see people just sitting doing that. So marketing's always been around. We've been influenced before. We've never had anyone create algorithms that go now, now, again, again, you need it, you need it, dopamine, 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 feels good, feels good, feels good. Hey, just do without it. Just, just take 24 hours and don't touch it. I, I could, but I just don't want to. That, that's an addict, right? Like, no, I, I could, but I, I just don't want to. Not right now. I might stop later. And so whatever that is for you, that could be looking at literally like pottery plants. That could be looking at, you know, home and garden stuff. That could be looking at new trailers. That could be looking at new vehicles. That could be looking at very immoral stuff. But, but it, it's a laser beam and algorithms knowing what not only gets you excited, but also at the same time, this is powerful, if you start setting out, what gets you a little bit ticked off about the opposite thing. So if it's the political climate right now, feel that polarization. It's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. They know what images to throw up that, that you support this side over here, and you see, and they know how to throw up these little images of those people with those picket signs out on some Capitol Hill, and, and, and it's the people that just tick you off again, now, 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 now. And they've mastered it scientifically to where it's a laser beam into your brainstem creating emotions and thoughts and feelings and, and literally physiological chemicals in your brain. And we bought it. 
and we drink it like water, and we don't even realize it. And in their own country, guess what? Until 16 years old, 15, 16 years old, guess what they get to look at? Here's your version of TikTok. Scientific museums, museums of art, um, educational things, and then national nationalism, things that support their country. So until 14 or 16 years old, that's what their people get to see. What do, what do they sell to our five-year-olds and seven-year-olds and nine-year-olds and 11-year-olds and 14-year-olds and, and adults also? And it's not just TikTok, but I'm just saying that company, that was masterful. And, and we are, if you start studying it, it, it's scary. And I'm not one of those, I'm not a big conspiracy person at all. But man, how's your hope gauge doing? You start clicking on those things, it begins to affect a whole generation, three, four generations. Have you ever got to a place where you're almost afraid to hope because all of the disappointments that you've gone through? Maybe you, you man, I just hope this. And then some time goes by and it didn't come about. I hope this. And time goes by and it doesn't come about. And so after you know nine out of nine, things didn't come about like you wanted, I'm just kind of afraid to hope anymore. I'll start settling and compromising and just settling for small little wins because there's really nothing left to hope in. When you look across the globe and see the state of the nations, the peoples, if you take the time to truly just not just just see that and look at the, you know, oh, that looks bad, that looks bad, and then, oh, oh the gap's got to sell. But if you look at the picture and see children and old people suffering in hard times and thinking through, man, what, what kind of hope is out there? Does the destruction, the atrocities, the despair affect your hope? When you look at our own country and see the growing divisions, the culture wars, the, the failing economy, the polarizing uh, political climate, how does that affect you? And again, we, we've got something in front of us that, that that's, it, it's powerfully um, influencing us that we don't even realize if we're not careful. When you've gone through painful circumstances with family, with friends, with health, financial concerns, are you tempted to lose hope? And again, we're, we're looking at God as saying, don't, don't be distracted by those. Don't listen to only those voices. I've got hope for you. In the middle of family loss, health loss, um, relational loss, financial loss, you, you, you've still got this, this beautiful Christ. Look what he accomplished. So we're looking back at what Christ has done. And we're looking forward, anticipating. All those things just remind me that we weren't created for this world. We weren't created for these things. We all want to win in all these different categories and never experience lack of comfort, lack of ease. We, we look for ways that are comforting and that are easy and that, that are, are so enjoyable for the moment. And yet God has put, placed us in a world where that's just not the norm. And so we've got to be able to have hope and be a people of hope. Uh, Christians, uh, what I'm afraid of is when you look on social media sometimes, we're attacking and slandering and being just as mean and spiteful as people who are completely lost. And they really do. You've got to stop and think. They really do believe that, that the things that they're standing for are not silly. They really do believe that whether it's, it's the women's rights for her body and stuff, they really believe that. They're not just trying to be jerks. They believe that it's, it's a woman's right over her body. And we're going, no, 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 uh, abortion. It's the death of a, of a baby. They really do. They're not just trying to be jerks. You've got to think and go, hey, they're not, they don't have the view of a creator. They don't have the understanding of that. And, and if I just scream hate at them, you murdering, stupid, ridiculous 
That's not what Jesus was doing. So whatever issue, whether that's politics, and especially if it comes down to all you're really concerned about is the economy. Like, how am I going to win on the bottom line? And I'm going to use social media to throw hate and slander at people because I want this party to win. And then I can tout them and taunt them with that. We've missed it. And so sometimes that's what it's coming to, even Christian subcultures. Are you a weary soul needing something of hope? even as a Christian. So what's that like for people who don't have Christ and don't have the Spirit and don't have God and don't have a fellowship of saints? And if we're not careful, instead of being the ones who are going, hey, come, come be a part of us. We, we want to welcome you in. We, we, we know it's difficult out there. We don't have it perfect. We, are, we, we have sins and flaws just like you, but we're telling you there is hope in the one who sent his son, who, the one who, who brought everlasting life and who is, who is coming again in his first coming. This is what he did for us. In his second coming, this is what we're going to experience. And we're not just using the fear tactic. We do believe in a very literal, real hell, but that's not the only thing. We're not just like, you're just going to hell, you're just going to hell. Sometimes what we communicate is you're going to hell and I really don't care. I'm just right about stuff. Instead of like having a compassion that I not only want to keep them from a literal place, but I want them to love Jesus. I really think that they would be more happy, more enjoyed, more fulfilled if they experience Christ. And so are you a weary soul needing something of hope? You need the only one who can restore hope. And we, we have areas of hope. Think through in just in a day's time, in a daily thing, how much the, the different areas that we probably don't think through it, how much we're needing hope in your parenting. Man, I hope we have the right plan. I hope we kind of have the right parenting philosophy, a good mixture of, of grace and truth and accountability. And we're, we're handing off responsibilities, but we're also not just giving too much freedom. Uh, everywhere we go, Jamie and I go, it, it, it starts from your little kids. So if you, guys have little, if you guys have little kids or if you have older kids, everywhere you go, there's going to be people on each side of you thinking like, oh, you're way too liberal and free with this, or you're just too stuffy and rigid. And we go to some areas and we'll, we let our kids like, you know, if they play a video game, we We've, we, this year, we've had three to four parents like, oh, we, we, our kids, we don't do gaming. And, you know, their kid could be however. And so like, oh, well, we're sorry. You know, we, we had them. And then you could be other places. And you say like, yeah, our kids are doing this and this. And, or, our, or we don't let our kids do this. And they're like, oh, our kids been doing that since they're like six. And your son's 16. So you have to do that on your own. There, there's not a black and white scriptural, um, here's the plan that works for everyone. Because that's what we want. Everyone looks for that. You've got to go that through the spirit. And we all make mistakes in that. We all fail in that. We bring our own sin into that. That's just parenting. We hope that we have the right plan. We hope that we find, if you're a single person, we hope that God's going to bring that person. And man, have I been waiting. Man, have I been waiting. Man, have I been waiting. Is God going to bring this wonderful uh, future husband, this wonderful future wife? Is God going to do that? Um, relationships. Anyone in need of hope in relationships, family relationships? Um, life direction in the future. The health, your own health, uh, financial security, all those areas. We are people looking for hope, just like the outside world. Think through on a daily routine. I hope the weather's nice tomorrow. That's me every day. Like one of the things, first things I look at is the weather. I do not like cold weather. So I'm always like, is it going to be above 60? Just if it's above 60, I'm fine. I hope the weather's nice tomorrow. Little kids, I hope I get all the, the toys that I want for Christmas. That's usually with one of the things that they look at, I hope I get all the toys that I want. And we look at that as adults thinking like, that's a pretty small, selfish thing. 
but literally that's, you know, we're kind of the same in the things that we hope for. I hope I feel better in a couple of days. I hope I find the right person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. I hope we have a great time on our vacation. Um, I hope all the family gets along for the holidays, all the way to something small. Man, I hope we have fill in the blank for dinner tonight. Anyone do that? Have just a day and you're like, man, I hope we have something really good for dinner tonight. Even just a meal for 30 minutes is something we place some hope on. Um, I hope we're able to retire and have enough to live on. And really, I think some of us, a lot of times have this, I hope God knows what he's doing in this situation that we've hit. A lot of times, that's the underlying. I hope God knows what he's doing in this situation. This wasn't a part of the trajectory. This wasn't a part of the plan. And again, once you begin to get far enough into life to where um, a lot of things have not worked out exactly like your trajectory thought it was going to be, then you begin to lose hope if you're placing hope in the wrong things. So as we saw with, with those scriptures there, I wanted to go into the New Testament connecting not only Isaiah's prophecy and the Old Testament prophecy of, of here's what God is sending this son, sending um, this child, this Messiah that was going to come and bring hope and peace and joy and salvation. But we go to Romans uh, 8, and he says this, uh, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he, ha- for what he sees? But if we hope... For what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So, so think through that. This hope, in this hope we are saved. But hope that is not seen is not actually hope. For who hopes for what he, is see, what, he ha, what he has? If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Um, so that idea there is that um, we, we're, we're not fully in possession in a way that we're experiencing to the way where we do not experience sin. We do not experience hurt. We do not experience difficulty right now. But our hope is in God. So if, and we're going backwards through this in, in Romans 8 there. Uh, that's the ending section. But when you look at the, uh, the first part of that that leads up to that, Romans 8, 18 through 23, it's this hope of a future glory. And Paul starts out that section we just read. He starts out before it saying, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth the comparing, not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So you see this time situation. This is the continuum of time. So hope has to do with time, something that you don't have now, but you're thinking of, and that that in a future you will be experiencing it or you will attain it. So um, he's talking about the sufferings experience. I consider that the sufferings of this present time now, the sufferings, are nothing compared to the glory that we're going to experience in the future, that future hope that is to be revealed in us. It's not even worth comparing, Paul says. For the creation, all of creation, not just just, um, souls of humans, but the whole creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free. So there's that idea of if we're putting our hope in God, um, the first aspect is now I begin to treasure the right things, what Christ has accomplished. But secondly, that I'm also freed from some of the idolatry that my heart tends to attach to. 
we would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So this, this timing in the future. So if we're looking at Advent, looking back and appreciating and celebrating, his first Advent brought us justification and sanctification. Um, I'm sorry, justification and salvation. And his first Advent brought us sanct- uh, sanctification, the ongoing growth. His second Advent is what brings us, what Paul's talking about here, glorification. So the second Advent is when we will be changed to that state that we read about in Revelation earlier, where there is no sin anymore. There is no pain. There is no suffering. There is no harm. And so all of that brought about by this idea of Advent. His second Advent, we would anticipate and, and, and celebrate and enjoy the aspect of that. So the incarnation um, the advent of Christ brings up this hope that we can have in all of those aspects. So are you learning to um, pause in the middle of difficult circumstances? We've had, you know, with my back being jacked up uh, for the last few weeks, like, do you, are you able to still go on through physical pain and still look for it? It's just a reminder that this is a fallen world. Uh, it's a fallen uh, place that, that our bodies even are suffering the ills that sin has had. Um, People around you that are hurting, that are going through difficulties, um, the, the, the situations with our economy, the situation with relationships, all of those screaming to us that we need the hope of Christ. Um, so in closing, on this idea of, of looking and gazing at what Christ has accomplished for you, those two things I talked about, looking and gazing at what Christ accomplished, and then secondly, um, seeing if there's any pattern idolatry that's going on. In this busy season, maybe after a busy fall, are you able to pause and take some time to contemplate again, to, to pause and look again at what Christ accomplished in Advent season? Um, uh, Charlene had, had texted me last week or reminded me that, hey, um, she had set some things out. Um, last Thursday, just started the Advent season to where every day there's different. Uh, John Piper has some really good uh, devotionals. I think last year we handed out a book by Paul Tripp. It was a new devotional. Uh, a devotional, it's an Advent book. And you can just go through it for the for those days in December where that would focus your heart and mind on that. And so I think those are at that back table. Um, and we have some online resources for that also. There's, there's others that have come out. Jamie just got a new one by... Uh, one of the um, writers uh, that, that helps along with Harbor Network. How is, how, how is this idea of Advent affecting your soul, your heart? Is that just old news that we're bored about? Or is maybe that some kindling that you need to take and kind of poke around and, and stir up those, those, those embers? And on the idea of freedom from uh, enslaving alternative idols, um, of hope and peace and enjoyment and love, what are you hoping for this season? Um, is there something greater than merely our own selfish desires and wants? Um, what are you looking to for hope? Is it, is it government? Is it politicians or politics? Is it policies or laws? Um, is it cultural change? Is it health change, economic change? Those are not bad things in themselves, but if we begin as Christians to put all of our hope in that instead of Christ, we've missed it. We're, we're going to be let down, and we're going to miss out on Christ himself. So we want to be about Christ. It's Christ bringing the true change.
Because that's the hope of the world. That's the hope of culture change. Little by little, it's the people around me. I can't affect California, but I can invite people into conversations around my life and begin to find out what they're putting their hope in, to listen and to suggest to them that maybe they've missed it and to partner with them, walk with them, disciple them in the true hope of the world. What we want to be about is Christ renewing all things. We want to be about Christ discipling transformation in people's hearts and minds. We don't, want to, we don't want to be caught pointing to just moral lists that if we're honest, we can also be very hypocritical about. We want holiness and righteousness, but we want to be able to explain that to people in a way that is, that is all flowing out of our love for God and what Christ accomplished for us. So in this season, I hope that we can be a people that in the middle of darkness, we can be a people that are um, just bringing light and the hope of the gospel and the hope of Christ to people around us. As we go to the Lord's Supper, um, we get to celebrate that in the same way that just think through the different things that God placed in the church. He, he gave us baptism, that picture of uh, a person being alive, but now in, they were living a sinful life, and then they, they are dead to their sins, and that they're raised to new life because of what Christ has done. So that's the picture of baptism that he gave the church, to, to be a visible picture of the gospel for us. And then the Lord's Supper of, of Christ's body broken for us, and his, his blood spilt out on our account. And so we do that every week. In the same way that he gave us those pictures, he gave us Advent as a time for us to pause for this month to, to celebrate the, the first coming and look forward to and anticipate the second coming of Christ. So I hope that those things will be um, renewed in your heart as we go into this season. I've, I've, I've had a lot of people talk about during the Advent season that they grew up in churches where Advent wasn't stressed that way, and then they got into churches that began to really uh, bring out some of those deeper truths and and and. and they looked forward to December, not just because of the Christmas week and being off work or something or, or having a little uh, week's vacation, but instead because of Christ. And they said there really was change in their heart on that. And so um, as I pray, um, join me in that as we begin to participate in the Lord's Supper. Father, we do thank you for um, just your, your picture of um, hope that you give in the advent of Christ, that he came to take away sins. He came to take on the wrath of God in our place. He came to provide our righteousness. He substituted himself in our place, taking on that wrath. And he substituted his righteousness, imputing it to us. And God, we have a hard time remembering that and celebrating that sometimes. We get caught up in our um, own difficulties of the week, difficulties of the day. And so thank you that you gave us the season of Advent to focus on your redemptive purposes fulfilled in Christ. His first coming, but also we want to celebrate and rejoice in you and trust in you and rest in you, not the things around us, but to rest in you for his second coming. We look forward to that. We would say with John in the book of Revelation, come Lord Jesus, come soon, come quickly. We would, we would look forward to that time of eternal bliss with you. We thank you for the, the reality that we can rest in what you've accomplished that we can rest in that truth. Um, as we go to the Lord's Supper, would you be glorified in worship even as we partake of these elements? In your name we pray, amen.